Welcome to another edition of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson. We're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. Our next live storytelling events are coming up soon on March 3rd and 4th, when the theme will be trust. Find out more information and get your tickets now at sunflowertheater.org. And we are so excited to announce that we'll be working with student storytellers from Southwest Open School here in Cortez, Colorado, for a very special storytelling and slam poetry event coming up in April. Big thanks to the teachers at Southwest Open School and the good folks at Think360 Arts for Learning for supporting this amazing project. The story you're about to hear was told by Minna Jane at our live storytelling event last October when the theme was Forces. Minna is an artist, activist, and beekeeper. She works with alternative photographic process printmaking and wearable sculpture, incorporating issues of social justice, cultural exploration, and storytelling. She keeps bees on rooftops and co-owns a contemporary art gallery in downtown Durango, Colorado. Here's Minna's story. I am super nervous. (laughs) When I was a little girl, I was also a little boy. This was the early 80s in rural Minnesota, and hair was huge, and glitter was everywhere, and my first hero and my first fantasy was David Bowie. <laughs> and honestly, I don't, I don't think there's a person on earth that didn't have a crush on David Bowie at some point or another, because he was so confusingly, utterly pretty. <laughs> so like I said, this was rural Minnesota, and I was this brown-skinned troublemaker in this sea of milky-skinned Lutherans. Um, (laughs) To say I didn't fit in would be an understatement. And I was also a pretty precocious little kid. I I remember saying things like, I am not a little girl, even when I was wearing pretty flouncy princess dresses. And someday, if I ever get married at all, it's going to be to a lady. And... When I get old, I'm going to be an old man with a three-piece suit and and linty little suckers in my pocket that I'm going to give to the kids. And, you know, (laughs) I had these really strong ideas. And one day when I was about eight years old, I was leaning back against my favorite cottonwood tree in the woods next to my parents' house. And it was my favorite kind of summer afternoon. There was cottonwood fluff in the air and crows arguing in the branches. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I rushed to tell somebody my dream. And what I said was, I remember now. When I was a boy, it was hot and dry. It was summer after hunting, before winter camp. And I climbed a cliff to my cave house, and I went in to get my bowl. And before I could turn around, somebody had stabbed me right here. And I died. I loved this dream. As an eight-year-old, I knew that the little boy in the dream was another me in another life. And I knew somehow that I was something bigger and older and stranger than I could ever imagine. And as all of these thoughts bubbled up from the deeps of my mind and became conscious, it was like they pulled all these strings with them. And I knew I was a girl. And I was a boy. I was both. And I was something else altogether. So I planted this epiphany in the deepest, most important parts of myself, and I got to work growing up, giving my parents hell growing up. (laughs) I shaved my head and ran away from home to go to take back the night rallies and 
dated strippers and taught my drag king friends or drag queen friends, both of them, how to walk in high heels. And through all of this, I somehow managed to, to be pretty grounded. I, was, I had this really simple worldview that was based in large part on that cottonwood tree epiphany. I am everything and everything is me. I mean, I felt this empathetically, like really, truly. I was the blades of grass bending underfoot, and I was that little boy in the corner store just getting his mind blown by his first experience of ice cream. I was the whole world and the whole universe spinning around it. And to say something as basic as, I'm a girl or I'm a boy, felt like a lie. My heart could not be so black and white. And then I went away to college and to study theoretical physics and comparative religion, of all things. <laughs> and two terribly important things happened that changed the course of my whole life. I met and fell in love with a transgender man named William. And I also met Christina, this badass queer Chicana from San Francisco. Before I met the two of them, I'd never heard words like transgender or genderqueer. I never even knew gender studies was a thing. And thanks to the two of them and many deep, profound college conversations about identity politics and community-based organizing, I started to realize that more than just being black and white cages or lies, personal identities could be powerful tools. That I could, they could help me know myself and know other people and, and be an active force in the world. So I started feeling more comfortable saying things like, I am a feminist, I am a person of color, I am queer. One day I was walking home across campus to the house that I shared with Christina and William. It was fall and the New England foliage was on fire. I remember that particular autumn smell of dying leaves and cold stone and wet earth. But mostly I remember this feeling I always get in the fall of recognition and melancholy. You know, like the whole world is so pretty and so sad, it hurts my feelings. And I love it. <laughs> and caught up in all that beauty, I forgot to grip the small knife I always carried in my pocket. And I forgot to watch the shadows. One of those shadows came out of the darkness swiftly and grabbed me by the shoulders and pulled me off the path and threw me up against a tree in the dark where no one could see. And I kicked it in the balls and ran away. And this seems like a really good thing, like I should have felt empowered by my ability to protect myself. But what I really felt was like this dam deep inside of me, built by the sheer force of survival, had cracked. And all of it, all of the violent, racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic bullshit that I had ever experienced and that everyone I loved had ever experienced became instantly, infinitely less abstract. It became real. And neither the universe-wide self of my childhood or the many little selves that I was developing in college could deal with such a sobering reality. So I ran away to San Francisco. I dropped out of college and William came with me and we did AmeriCorps positions and Christina came home to San Francisco soon after and we were reunited. It was awesome. San Francisco just blew my mind. It was full of 
people of sorts I had never seen before and foods I had never experienced and street art everywhere and everything smelled like fog, if fog actually has a smell, but that's it. It smells like San Francisco. And um, man, we did so many cool things. We dressed in drag and went to shows and I taught safer sex education to teenagers. But I still felt like I was fighting for my life all the time. We had guns pointed at us and bottles thrown at us and slurs screamed at us for things as simple as binding our breasts or shaving our heads. And the worst night, the thing that really turned the tide of my life was when William was walking home one evening in the rain. He had missed his bus and he stopped at a number of little shops along the way asking to use their public restrooms and somehow threatened by this tall, black, androgynous, soft-spoken person, they all said no. He ended up having to piss his pants and walk for miles in it. And I was filled with a rage beyond anything I had ever experienced. If those shopkeepers had been there in front of me, I would have hurt them. And I was terrified by that feeling. And suddenly all of the conflicting forces that had been trying to claim me my whole life, forces like love and hate and compassion and fear and race and ethnicity and gender and sex, all of those forces just cracked me to pieces. And my big self, she went to sleep. And my little selves who were first generation American or queer or an artist or an activist, they just all stopped talking to each other and I felt paralyzed. So fast forward 15 years, a lot of things have happened since then. Um, gosh, marriage and divorce and death and Obama twice and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And why, or William and I eventually broke up and Christina and I drifted apart and I moved home to Minneapolis just in time for 9-11, which is a really good thing because it kicked my ass in the right way. I remember people saying things at the time like God has lifted his veil of security over the US and they were talking about these de devastating feelings of fear and bafflement and all I could think was I feel this way all the time. Little acts of terrorism are perpetrated against people like me all the time. And it was like my insides were splattered all over the consciousness of the nation and I did not like what I saw. I didn't want to be afraid all the time. I didn't want to be angry all the time. And I also started to realize that all the activism I'd been doing, even though it was super important and really good work, it hasn't, hadn't been sustainable for me. I wasn't doing anything creative or building anything tangible. I was just tearing things down. So I decided I'm gonna go out there and learn practical skills. So I learned how to build giant puppets for street theater and, <laughs> and beekeeping and Soto Zen Buddhism and uh, it, you know permaculture design. And I moved to the Southwest for the sun and I thought, oh man, this desert sun, it's gonna blast out everything rat rotten inside in my dark corners. And you know, I fell in love more and fell out of love more and eventually moved to Durango because I wanted to commit to being an artist full time. And, so somewhere along the way, I, I started realizing that my selves were waking back up and that they were maybe having conversations with each other and maybe, maybe being friends. And that all of those forces of love and 
fear and violence and identity didn't need to tear me to pieces. Instead, they could be energy that I could channel into my good work, into my art and my activism and my beekeeping. And I think it's working because not too long ago, I found myself at a candlelight vigil for the 49 souls who died in the Orlando nightclub shooting. And as our candles burnt down to little puddles of wax and the stars came out, we were all embracing each other with tears on our cheeks. And I remember three or four of my friends coming up to me and saying, thank you so much for being here for me. And all of my me's, the big universe-wide me who is everything and everyone and was there that night in Orlando with bullets in my heart bleeding out on the nightclub floor, and the smaller me's that had loved and lost so much to hate, all of them said, I'm also here for me, for the first time in unison and harmony. Thank you. Thanks, Minna, for telling that story. To hear more stories like this one, subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, where you can also leave comments about these stories and share them with your friends. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives live storytelling event, go to our website at ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also see a beautiful photo gallery of our storytellers there and find out what the themes will be at upcoming events. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org. Support for the Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. Find out more at redscarfshots.com.